By rattling snake and bullfrogs croak, the singing robin and jackalope. By howling coyote and gator's snout, to the crossroads we dance about. Welcome to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, so if you want to see Austin and I get extra spicy with special guest hosts, head on over to patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. If you subscribe, you'll get early access to podcast episodes, recorded video, monthly spell, sigil, or recipe outlines. You'll get to also ask listener questions. And if you join the top tier, you'll be acknowledged at the end of each episode. So please, if you'd like to support us, check us out on Patreon. I promise you won't regret it. Hello, everyone. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. Welcome to Southern Bramble. And I'm Austin. Welcome back. Oh my gosh. So we've actually had like several things happen to both of us since our last podcast. We've had Walpurgisnacht. We've had Beltane. We've had wine. (laughs) We are. uh, Yes, we have had wine. Um, so I thought it'd be kind of cool to kind of catch up a little bit, let everyone know what we've been doing. You had a wonderful suggestion of talking about our Walpurgis Knot or Beltane. So I would like you going to start by maybe telling me a little bit, like, what is Walpurgis Knot to you? Like, what is that specifically? Yeah, so I, I celebrate, there's a couple of different names for it. There's Hexanoct, Walpurgisnacht. Um, Walpurgisnacht is St. Walpurgis, St. Walpurgitha's uh, night before her feast day. So St. Walpurgitha is a um, German saint. She is uh, a, somebody who dispels witchcraft. Um and things like that, but her feast or the night before her feast day, known as Walper uh, Saint or Wow, sorry, <laughs> Walpurgis Noct or Saint Walpurgis Night is um, in many German witch stories the night where like witches will fly off to the Brachen to go dance with the devil um, before the sun comes up. Uh, have you ever seen Fantasia? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because I was literally about to say, I feel like I've seen something very similar to this and it all goes back to when I was a kid watching Night on Bald Mountain, Fantasia. Yes, Night on Bald Mountain is like straight up um, like the story of how like the ghosts and the spirits and the witches and the demons all raise up and go dance on the mountain. But before the devil can enact his uh, nasty plans, uh, Saint the sun comes up and, and it's St. Walpurgis Day and everyone goes, you know, everything goes back to normal and happy. Because St. Walpurgis was actually the saint that banished witchcraft or like alleviated the township of witchcraft. Was that, is that incorrect? Uh, no, I actually, I don't know... Um, the Walpurgis knocked or the Walpurgis lore. Like, I don't know much about her mm-hmm. as a saint. Um, I know that she uh, practiced herbalism. Um, uh, she reminds me a lot of like St. Hildegard von Bingham, um, which is a doctorate saint of the church. So I know more about St. Hildegard than I do 
uh, St. Walpurgatha, but I celebrate Hexanoct, which is why I don't, I'll, I use the term Hexanoct and Walpurgisnoct interchangeably. Um, but I, they're, they're, I, I mostly celebrate like Hexanoct because I'm worried about going and dancing with the devil, not, not the feast day afterwards. Right, right. The right thing to worry about. That's important. <laughs> so what do you do for your St. Walpurgis Noct? Okay, so we're going to share the story. So if anyone has been following me, they know that I have recently gone under some burn trauma. I am officially someone who has survived the burning times. <laughs> Remember them. Uh, God bless. God bless. No, so so here's the deal. Um, I am not going to lie, as an eclectic sort of witch, uh, uh, while I do follow certain aspects of traditionalism, I also kind of throw in my own sort of feeling about the time period. So I was kind of mixing the idea of having a sort of wild individual Sabbath night myself with the idea of, of the fire festival of Beltane. And um, I, I'm just gonna go ahead and put it all out. I'm not gonna put it all out there. I'm not gonna put it all out there because some of this stuff is a little personal, but um, what was fascinating. So I put together a small ritual where I um, was going to uh, uh, invite the horned God or the devil, the folkloric devil into my space. And we were going to have a, a um, a joining together experience, an invocation of fire, a celebration of the sensuality of, uh, of, the, of the night. Uh, again, I won't go too deep into detail, but I was sky clad by myself at my altar. And um, it's a very socially distanced. Sound. Yes, it's a very, <laughs> it's, a, it, it's something you do with either trusted close friends or by yourself. So I will say I was sky clad. I was at my altar. I had my cauldron in front of me. I added salt. I added Florida water. I, I, I lit a fire in, a, in a, you know, a safe and a safe enclosed space. And um, I was working on my, uh, 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 the ritual work. And, um, and I noticed the fire was just about to go out and uh I don't know if you know this, but right before fire goes out, it turns blue, which is, of course, the hottest fire there is right before white. The thing is, is you don't really see the white fire because that's that's so hot that it's basically invisible to the human eye. And it's usually what happens right after blue before the fire just dies. So I, being somewhat in the ritual mindset mode, I was not, I had enjoyed a glass of wine beforehand. I went to go add some more Florida water and relight it to make sure the fire never, um, uh, uh, yes, it was going out, but I just wanted to make sure there was still fire for the invocation. And I was wrong. There was still fire there. <laughs> and it popped and exploded. And um, this is an example of fire safety that even some of the most seasoned of witches can experience. Uh, it jumped up onto my curtains, it splashed up onto my arm. For those that don't know, Florida water is a highly flammable alcoholic-based cologne or solution that has um, essential oils, of multiple different essential oils in there that it's used for cleansing or uh, just honestly, sometimes just easily fire creation. And... I was so busy putting, putting out the curtains that I didn't realize my arm was on fire. I thought I had just singed the hairs. I thought 
that that was no big deal because I want to make sure my building doesn't burn down. That was important to me, you know. I, I'm I'm a believer in, in thinking about things bigger than myself. Um, also, you can heal. Uh, buildings don't. Right. Buildings don't. I don't want to burn down anyone else's home. So I was so busy putting the curtains out, I didn't realize that it wasn't just my hairs that were singed on my arm. It was actually the alcohol that popped and splashed back and soaked my arm that... Uh, was just continuously burning. Luckily, I had a spray ball nearby and when I realized I sprayed it, but not, of course, before getting second degree burns. So I, being completely sky clad, am lucky it didn't pop on my hair or, or my chest or my face or God knows what else. Or should I say the devil knows what else? Ooh. Not the nether region. <laughs> Let's just say... Um, I am much more careful. I am, and not traumatized, but I definitely have a greater respect, not only for fire, but flammable solutions. I will say with a ritual that invoked fire, I did a good job. I just went a little too far. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone remember um, fire safety. Yes. Fire safety is important. I do really irresponsible things with um, fire. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, well, maybe they aren't so irresponsible um, because I I do not like getting burned at all. Clearly, it's not like you do either. (laughs) Now that I've told that story, maybe not so irresponsible, your thought was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, because I've definitely done the same thing that you've done. Like, I have a basic parfum that I use for lighting, you know, those big fires in my culture and their fires of invocation, their fires of birth. Um, and their fires for calling spirits forth. And I've definitely like straight up, like I've let it go out and then I'll pour more in there. And then I will take like, um, I use <laughs> hot witch tip. Um, I use like bamboo skewers to light my votives. And also like, I don't know, I just don't use candles for some reason, but they come in handy for, for burning the cauldron fires. But once that alcohol has gotten hot enough and there's fumes in the air and you put the bamboo skewer up to it, it will like absolutely cause a big burst of flame. And I've actually had it like, get really close to my face before and I'm like okay like I don't keep it around any um like tapestries or curtains or anything like that because I know it explodes but I mean you know this is like 200 proof ethanol like it's very flammable and very dangerous so yeah be careful please Mm -hmm. well I don't have mine around curtains anymore either because I don't have any more curtains um (laughs) she's a curtainless queen i am a curtainless queen and you know what i think that's okay for now i think i'm going to take it as a sign uh that i didn't need them there they were old you know what they were outdated i'll look at something new she's letting the light in that's right i am all about love and light (laughs) you look very (laughs) you look very luminous on on zoom today marshall thank you so much the sun is coming in after a fresh rainstorm so I look nice and nice and cleavaged out with my sunlight in the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so why don't I get into the topic today? Because this is a really interesting one that I think a lot of people don't always consider when it comes to their studies. Yeah, 
yeah, let's uh, let's talk about it. What is our topic for today? Uh, so the topic actually came. Um, it is an is an it's an age old saying or an idea, and I read it. So I'm going to go ahead and quote it from New World Witchery uh, by. Corey Thomas Hutchinson, but um, it's technically not his quote specifically, but the quote is that um, blessing and bane can grow on the same stock. And to be honest, with that single sentence, that literally creates the basis of this whole episode. And I know of someone who grew up in the 90s following Wicca. You know, I got my Scott Cunningham. I had my Silver Raven Wolf. I had all of these books with these correspondences and ideas. And almost every single one of them told me all of the blessings that each one of these herbs or stones could bring. How virtuous, how kind. So virtuous and kind. They never talked about the idea of... of Possibly, let's go, I mean, we won't get there just yet, but the idea of a singular plant that could bring love could also take love. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just said they didn't talk about the idea that it gave you the virtue of a specific plant or stone, but it didn't tell you how you could use it to give or to take, to, to, to bless or to bring baneful intentions. And I think that's one of those things that traditional witchcraft and folkloric witchcraft specifically really opened up my mindset. Yeah, Scott Cunningham actually is very, um, cause you know, I was a, a child of the early 2000s as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't all bedevilment and, and uh, dark witchery over here, folks. Um, I, I actually still will say that um, Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs and Scott Cunningham's complete book of incense oils and brews really good resource books very good beginner books um i don't have them anymore i always loan them out i used to loan them out to like several people and then i would just never get them back like i probably bought those books like three or four times the scott cunningham estate is probably profiting solely off of off of me (laughs) I, I have the Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs by Scott Cunningham right here in my hands. I'm showing it to you on Zoom. And this is my second copy because I used to have one when I was younger and I, don't, I have no idea what happened to it. Um, yeah, yeah. Mine got burnt um, for my parents. But I, uh, he's very vehemently like anti, like no cursing, no, um, no love magic, unless it's for like just generating like... Um, loving intentions or to attract a new partner. But Scott Cunningham puts a lot of his own personal stuff in there, which I have to give it to him. He is a Llewellyn, um, you know, author of that time. I'm not, I'm not like shitting on anyone um, intentionally. No, no, no. I just, I just mean like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the authors, especially out of the nineties, like it was very, it, it had to be published a certain way. It had to be safe. We had just came out of the satanic panic, you know? And you know, what's fascinating um, to think about is the fact that, you know, Scott Cunningham's books, while being very uh, uh, solitary Wiccan oriented, were extremely, they, they really upheld the idea of the threefold law. They really upheld the idea of what you put out comes back two times three. And it's interesting. So here we are talking about the idea of Cunningham from the 90s. But at the same time, when I was on one of my Instagram lives the other day, I happened to look at the original 
publication data, the, li the Library of Congress cataloging in publication data of Scott Cunningham for this book. And I, I don't know if this is his books alone or this one specifically. I can't tell from the way this is put, but it says, maybe that's just him, 1956, 1953. But um, the publication copyright date for this is 1984. So that's before I was born and obviously before you were born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. He, he was actually um, an 80s and, and 90s publisher. I think he... Um, I could be completely wrong. It's been a while. I, I, I used to um, know a little bit about him, but I, he died in the 90s, I believe. So I think that must that original date must have actually been his 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 actual life cycle, 1956, 1983. Yes, that makes more sense. Um, so originally publicated in 1984. This book, this the book that I have myself right now is the 31st printing. Oh, wow. 31 times this book. So I'm telling you, whether or not you're into Wicca or Cunningham, it doesn't really matter. The Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, in my opinion, is really, really helpful because not only when you open it does it show you all these different herbs, it shows you the gender they're associated with, the planet they're associated with, the element they're associated with, as well as powers and magical uses. So um, I like it for a correspondence book, but it's probably one of the few that I am gung-ho about when it comes to his. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good book by his. Um, there's still things that like, I don't have the book anymore, um, clearly. So I, you know, it's been a while since I've used it. I've liked that he talks about where a lot of the folklore comes from, which can inspire where the correspondences come from. Um, I typically try not to think about things in that kind of framework. So um, for me, I don't have a reason to get the book anymore, but I think it's a very good introductory book for what it is um, to kind of like get into magical herbalism. Absolutely. I think because it's been around for so long, it's really inspired an entire direction of herbalism and herbical magical properties that many practitioners today still use, whether they realize that some of these originated back with Cunningham. I myself have my link tree on my bio that has a whole list of herbal correspondences. And I noticed that many of them are written exactly the same way online that they are in this book, which is kind of fascinating to think about. Yeah, his, his um, things have been plagiarized quite a bit. <laughs> have you ever seen Practical Magic? Oh, that's a stupid question. Of course, of course I have. have. Of course, of course. I have. Of course, because I have. Because have. Have. what does a girl want? She doesn't want flowers. She wants the house from Practical Magic and the book. That's all she wants. Did you know that was a shell? Yeah. Yeah, I it do. Was, it wasn't a real house. I know. I'm mad about it. I'm... And the so I actually, uh, the book, like the, the, you know, the aunt's spell book has mm. a recipe in there um, for a love potion. And it is word for word Scott Cunningham. Is that the one with the dove heart? No, but it's around that area. Okay, that makes sense. I don't, don't ask me why I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's fascinating. So this is a little piece of movie trivia for people who um, love that movie. If you haven't read the book, they are very different from each other. So different. I love, 
Alice Hoffman's Practical Magic. Oh, so good. Okay, so here's the deal. You're going to be mad at me. And maybe a lot of the people are mad at me to listen to this. I like the movie better than the book. No, and let me explain. Let me explain why. No, that, I think that's fair. Uh, of course, I saw the movie first. I read the book later. And I think one of the things that I loved about the movie is that it was just so fucking witchy. The book, on the other hand, was a little bit more, a little bit more real life. It was a little bit more, um, it was less witchy, less, less witchcraft. And it was a little bit more, these are things that happen in the process of, of this family that also include a history of herbalism and witchcraft and a hint of magic. Um, that was my take of it. Yeah, I really, I like the book a lot. I love the movie too, but I really, um, we are, we were not supposed to be talking. No, I don't know. We're going, on a t- we're going on a tangent. That's fine. But I did, I absolutely loved, if you've ever read the book, so, and you've seen the movie, the, the movie opens up with the hanging scene of, of, um, the Julia, I think her name was Julia Owens um, or something like that. Maria, 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 Maria. Um, And the book actually goes a lot more into like each chapter. I believe it's been a long time since I've read it, but each chapter goes into a memory of her and like, it never expressively, I mean, there are a couple of witchy things in the mm-hmm. book, like, um, oh, Jillian using a black candle to get rid of her ex-lover. But, like, there's really not that much, like, witchy stuff in there. It's more, like, alludes to the fact that they know magic and mm-hmm. witchcraft. Um, great book. Very different than the movie. Very different. Now, I will say I loved the prequel, which is Rules of Magic. It's the aunts when they were, chi- when they were children and teenagers. I've been um, wanting to read it. I haven't read it yet. It's so good. I listened to the audiobook, and now there is another one out called Le- Magic Lessons, which is the original prequel, and it's Maria's entire story. So if anyone out there is a huge Practical Magic fan, I would totally suggest getting these books. I have not read Magic Lessons, but I did read Rules of Magic, and you really get to know Aunt Jet and Aunt Franny so much more. Um, I will admit that I loved Rules of Magic even more than Practical Magic because you get to know who these ants are, how they came to be where they are, why are they in this house, what do they know and how do they get there? Um, that's just my little thing. I'm not being paid by Alice Hoffman, I promise. <laughs> I wish I was. Well, it, it kind of goes a little bit more into um, uh, like the, the the girls, the young girls. It also goes into their mom, which is the yes. aunt's sister, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You get so much more of a backstory there. Fair. But but we both digress. <laughs> Let's get back to the topic at hand. What was ten minute tangent? On yes. Sorry. Magic. Sorry. So blessing and bang can grow on the same stalk, and some people have also heard that you cannot heal without knowing how to harm. Or the other way around, you, you, you can't harm without knowing how to heal. Um, that is definitely a folkloric or traditional type of witchcraft idea. Uh, understanding the aspect of how can you understand how to heal someone from something that's harming them if you don't understand how to harm them in the first place. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so why don't we kind of get into the, the, the nitty gritty of what this means? How do we apply it? How do we use this in our practices? And I know one of the things I love, I love Gemma Gary's traditional witchcraft. I know you have, have read some of Gemma Gary as well. Um, one of the things that she always talks about is understanding that whenever you're going about 
doing a working, working a ritual, you have two different options. You can go in a dextral or beneficial direction, which is usually considered clockwise, or you can go in a sinistral or counterclockwise or sometimes uh, uh, called Wittershins directions goes against the sun. Um, I found that quite interesting because it really reframed the way I thought about all of my workings. It reframed the way I thought about banishings, about baneful work, about uh, healings and beneficial work. Uh, the idea of going with the clockwork in the direction of the sun from east to west in a, a with the flow of the with the flow of the river with the flow of the magic direction it seemed to push forth the idea of pushing your will while counterclockwise going against the grain in a sinistral direction you could take the exact same working whether the subject matter is clarity or health or love and you could take it in the exact opposite direction i thought that was the first time anyone had ever taught me magic from a base perspective that was not all about healing and beneficial results. Yeah, I um, I like to think of it as very like, okay, if you're going counterclockwise, you're literally moving to the left. And like you're moving literally to the left in a left circular movement. Um, and this is part of the left-hand path. I actually do a lot more left hand stuff, even if it's not necessarily for um, sinister stuff. Um, uh, like, uh, you know, making a crossroads for me, if I'm not actually physically going to a crossroads, if I'm making mm -hmm. a magical crossroads, um, you know, using my left foot or holding uh, the staff or the wand or the blade or the dagger in my left hand and drawing the circle or the, the crossroads that way. Um, so it's not all bad for me, and, but I digress. And then, you know, going um, clockwise is moving to the right, literally like the right hand path and, and going, you know, um, inviting things in, um, you know, more like the positive thing. Like I said, I mostly go left hand for a lot of things uh, that aren't even uh, sinister anyways. But I, um, I, it's very easy for me to remember these things, or at least it, it was um, easy for me to remember these things from the start because I was actually born left-handed. Really? Yeah, I was born left-handed. And if you think about the... I, have you ever heard that like your left hand is, is the evil hand? I have not heard that specifically, but I do know that historically before it was accepted, commonly accepted for people to just live as left-handed people, that there were a lot of societal pressures to put on children who are left-handed to teach them to write with their right hand. Well, I was one of those children. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It wasn't even my parents. Um, it was actually my grandfather who forced me to learn how to be right-handed. And it's really weird. I actually call my left hand um, my, my hand of ill virtue because there are certain things that I instinctively do with my left hand that I do not do with my right. And I am a right-hand dominated person now. I write with my right hand. I blow dry with my right hand, et cetera, et cetera. But with my left hand, I'll hold a cigarette or, you know, a joint um, instinctively, not by thinking about it. 
I will drive with my left hand. I, uh, TMI, I will jerk off with my left hand. It's really, (laughs) really strange. Um, And I don't know why I do that. But I know it's, well, I do know it's because I was born left-handed. Right. It's my my hand of ill virtue. So would you say that now you're almost more ambidextrous in general? No, I, I wouldn't even say that. Well, magically, sure. But... Um, like I couldn't write with my, my left hand. That's fascinating. My, yeah. my, my Nana, my, on my mom's side is actually, she was born left-handed and she still is to this day. And it was great because her father was a doctor. So he understood that that's not necessarily something that means anything whatsoever, but it also meant that as a woman growing up in the time period that she was, that she was, you know, she, she took home ec, she took sewing, she was cooking and everything was taught from a perspective that was all right-handed. So like she, she had to learn to, to sew with, her, with her, her left hand only because the woman across the street was left-handed as well. It was this little old lady that taught her how to do all these things left-handed that her own mother couldn't do because she couldn't fathom how to begin just doing normal activities that way. One last thing before we move on. Yeah, it's a really interesting. Think about going like back to hair school. Like, do you remember having that like one left-hand person in your class and they would ask the educator how to do everything? And then the educator would be like, uh, uh, they'd have to think really hard because they're literally mirroring everything, mm-hmm. doing it well, left-hand. They make left-handed shears now specifically yeah. for that reason. Yeah, I broke my finger the night before I started hair school, my ring finger. And I broke it on my right hand and I thought I was going to have to be a left-handed hair cutter. Wow. So now I do want to kind of throw out a little disclaimer for anyone listening to this so they can they can take a step back and don't take this necessarily too specific or seriously because I, I want to make sure that we're not calling people out there who are naturally left-handed uh, 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 instruments of the devil or anything like that <laughs> however <laughs> idle hands are so that is a saying for sure absolutely though i do love a good idle hand every now and again <laughs> <laughs> but anyways so what i thought was really interesting is so we're talking about directions but obviously this goes so much bigger than that um let's talk about different types of spirit allies that we work with. We work with plants, we work with herbs, we work with stones. Um, What I find fascinating is most people, especially when I take my Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, they all have their gorgeous, beautiful, little beneficial properties. It doesn't talk about the baneful properties. It doesn't talk about properties of herbs that can hex properties of herbs that can harm. The thing is, is they're all the same herbs. They're just not usually written in a lot of books because at least in the time period for what they were, they weren't really willing to share that. And I think we're kind of getting past that with some of the publications we have now. So I actually wrote down a few different plants that I thought we could talk about. I know you have had your own personal experience with roses, which we talked about in the last episode. Um, Roses are amazing because everyone automatically starts thinking of roses as love. Roses is glamour, roses is beautiful and beauty, but no one talks about the fact that they grow on a thorny stalk 
that if you are not purchasing the stems in some sort of florist shop or store, if you go and try to grab or pick some from a random vine or bush, you will find yourself bleeding because those thorns are sharp. Yes, yes. Now you, I don't know if you're willing to share this, but I know you specifically talked about the fact that you've had some certain communications with the spirit of Rose that were, had nothing to do with love, but were in a very different direction. Would you be open to sharing what some of those directions or, or, or I hate to say correspondences, but virtues that were shared with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have been doing a lot of work that's like trusting some like very embedded visions that I actually like see in my mind's eye. Um, And I've always had a very active imagination through all my life. So for a long time, when I do spirit work, I always kind of write it off as, oh, it's just uh, like, it's your very active imagination. And through consulting with a friend um, who has also done some channeling session and then kind of uh, channeling work and then has gotten me to do some uh, channeling stuff as well. Like I've learned how much I've needed to trust that more um, and still be very able to discern, like, is this a projection or is this actually like a spiritual vision or communication? Um, so we still have to have that right discernment, but when sitting down with this rose plant that I got, it's a uh, traditional like uh, heirloom rose, right? So it has fragrance to it. It's, it is a perfumery rose. Um, I bought it and I had intentions or I am growing it to become a plant ally for me. Um, so I sat down and we've had a couple chats since then, but <laughs> but one of the experiences that I had with it is like full blown, just like showing me um, lots of necromantic things, like lots of um, literally like peering through the eyes of skulls and like looking out as if I were looking through a skull and like seeing the perspective of a dead person and also um, going into skulls. Like this is where you need to be. Like you need to sit in the death. I've had a lot of weird death associations in like very like lots of necromancy going on in my life lately. Um, I also saw the plant demon or the plant spirit. Um, which was really interesting. So nothing about love. I straight up asked. I was like, "Hey, so you're, you know, you're a rose, and you should, you know, in theory, know about love magic. So you know, can you tell me some things on that?" Wouldn't even have it. It was just full blown like pictures of skulls of of her roots um, being embedded in soil and like literally growing around a skull and things like that. And, you know, it's fascinating because one of the traditional types of flowers that you bring to someone at a funeral is white roses. And historically, you see this in tattoos, you see this in art, you see this in, in depictions all over the world, not just where we live. Skulls surrounded by roses. It's, it's something that is always synonymous. Um, I think it's... Vanit- Sorry, one- go ahead. Vanitas, yeah. Yes. It, it's one of those things where... 
where you see this beautiful flower, but it also comes with this extremely violent thorn. Life is a beautiful thing and we only get to experience it for so long before we're ultimately back in the ground again. Mm -hmm. We come from, we go to, it is all but soil and ash. So a couple other plants that I have written here, which of course there are so many, we can go around them forever, but a few that have popped up in some of my practice, which I found fascinating, is we have things like uh, mustard seed. Mustard seed, it's a, it's a black mustard seed. If I open Scott Cunningham's Guide of Magical Herbs to Mustard Seed, this is, this is actually kind of fascinating. Um, you will find, or I will find once I get there, because I had it marked. I just didn't mark where I marked it. Fertility, protection, and mental powers. But the thing is, if you ever look at a mustard seed, usually, as, as, especially a black mustard seed, I think it should be obvious, it's black. So black mustard seeds are actually mostly used in hexing. They're, they're used in baneful work. They're meant to bring uh, negative effects to the person or target or direction you're kind of sending it. So the idea that a black mustard seed could be protective it could also be something that takes protection away from someone else. Uh, I found that really fascinating because if we're going to go with that route, we also have sesame seeds. And sesame seeds also have a completely different direction. They work with money and lust. But we also have black and white sesame seeds. So you could use white sesame seeds to attract money, to attract abundance, to maybe carry in your pocket or sprinkle under your bed if you want to have a really good wrap in the sheets. But what if you wanted to take away someone's lust? What if you wanted to curse someone with possible? I mean, I'm not going to, I would never, I would never assume to push this, to push impotence on somebody, but sesame seed would be a great way to go if it's, it's a black sesame seed, if it's a dark, uh, nefarious agenda, if you wanted to create a spell or hex that involved impoverishing someone, or maybe taking someone who has made a lot of money and it's made them super greedy and you want to give them a little taste of what it feels like to, to lose out on that sesame seed might be a completely different way to go than you would have thought before yeah i think speaking of mustard and sesame seeds um i think it's mustard seeds that you like folklorically you would like scatter behind you on your way home to dispel witches and i think it's I think it's mustard seed, right? Mm -hmm. You know, funny you mentioned that there's actually several different things. Like you might put a, a jar of lentils at your front door or rice, mustard seeds. You have to, the, the old folkloric idea was they would have to count them before entering. So it would give you a chance to escape. Right. And you, uh, you would make sure to like go in a serpentine kind of thing. Because spirits can only travel in like straight lines and, and things like that. It would confuse them. Yes, yes, very confusing. And I actually, speaking from personal experience, like um, in conjuration, like rice or beans or seeds, particularly like sesame seeds, if I have them around, um, that's how you that's how you summon things. You know, is by an offering of seeds or scattering seeds to the ground or hell, scattering seeds to the wind. If you're trying to, you know, enact some of that nasty impotence on somebody 
I mean, I use seeds, bird seeds specifically with my uh, relationship with the air spirits. When I talk about, it's kind of funny because people think I'm kind of silly because I'm like, I'm the bird guy. I put the bird seed out every day. I put out the mealworms and my oh, bird I like seed. Thank you. But I, I think of it as something so much bigger. I'm building a relationship with these birds. These birds are chthonic messengers. They go back and forth between the spirit world and us. So for me... I think of my seed work as an offering to these spirits of air, spirits of the North. And I don't necessarily think of them as beneficial or baneful, except for the fact that I am making a relationship because one day I may need their help with something. One day I may need to get a message out to someone. One day I may need them to bring a, a energetic existence to a space far from here far from some place that I may not be personally ready to travel. So I think it's really interesting, the idea of relationship with seeds that we can kind of take on. Absolutely. We also, of course, have things like bramble. We have, you know, bramble or, or thorny types of vines. I know, obviously, Southern bramble, here we are, Bane, Bane and bramble. We can, we can do lots of things with these. These have different types of powers. These... Uh, blackberry bushes and thorny vines can be wonderful for protection, for warding, for creating a protective barrier. I actually have a greenbriar wreath that I, I wove together from a fresh green uh, a greenbriar stalk while it was still green. And as it dried, I now have this thorny wreath that I can use as a, a spirit ally around a type of candle spell or a charm bag for protection, or also to pull spirit work from it in a baneful working. Yes. Um, I know you have probably a couple more from Cunningham, but I have an amazing book recommendation, if you don't mind me sharing. No, please share it. Um, so firstly, I recommend Anything by Corinne Boyer. Um, she's a really lovely author, but she has one great book in particular. It's called Plants of the Devil by Corinne Boyer. It is published through Three Hands Press. Um, so she has two other works through Troy Books, and some of the information overlaps because I, I think she gets um, some really great folkloric sources. But Plants of the Devil is specifically going into these very devilish, very sinister, um, and uh, sometimes like you know very very nasty and evil um, virtues and folklore of these plants. It's a little less instructional, like say maybe Under the Witching Tree is or something like that. It, it is like a book strictly of folklore um, and like compiled essentially. But if you pay attention, like any good witch should, paying attention to the folklore is where you will find the spell. And she goes into a lot of things that you wouldn't expect either like roses or like willow like willow trees are, are often very associated with, um, you know, tying lovers up and, you know, bringing love and divination and things like that. But there's like some serious evil folklore to it. And it's really, really cool. Well, that kind of just goes directly back into specifically the statement of this entire topic. 
blessing and bane grows on the same stalk. We have been, as practitioners, I think, for a long time, so focused on getting different types of correspondences from books. We kind of start to forget that these spirit allies, these plants, are so much bigger than their correspondence. You know, they they have personality, they have ideas, they have they have ways in which we can work with them that did not only go in the direction that these books have told us the same thing that can offer it can take away um you know i actually did a whole post on uh what's it called uh, shepherd's purse it's these it's also called in folklore mother's heart because the seed pods are these cute tiny little hearts they're wonderful for healing they actually the roots and the stalks themselves are great for anti-inflammation and teas and topical pulse uh, poultices but could you imagine if you wanted to on the opposite directive send someone illness or take away someone's healthy gain you could burn that mother's heart and take the ash and spread it over a picture of your target or roll a candle in it and in a, in a, in a away from you in a way that is is in a sinister or, or painful direction you can work with these spirits in so many different ways that are not just so obvious how they're written in books yeah or you know putting them up into a a black or red cloth and taking yes. a hammer and smashing them you know they're not just there always to do the most obvious thing. Sometimes they're there to do the opposite of the obvious thing. And we just don't think about that because I know I'm just speaking from personal experience. I have studied so many books and in many books, what I've noticed is there is a lack of, I don't want to say diversity because there's a lot of diversity, but there's a lack of, of bigger picture ideas. And honestly, discovering Gemma Gary's, uh, Book of Guida and Book of Do, which is her version of the light and dark Bukka or or the he goat or devil, was was a completely different departure from anything that I had ever read before, and I really appreciated that because it opened a lot of doors for me. Yeah, very that. I um, I think it's really important to also know that there's like, it's very rich, and so when you when you kind of which is why I try not to pay attention to them so very much. I do have a pretty basic understanding of where a lot of these correspondences come from. It is rooted heavily in um, medieval and, and early modern um, perspectives about astrology and um, medicine, how everything has a time and a season and certain planets and days and hours are ruled by certain planets and therefore certain plants in the season will be rooted in or ruled by specific planets, right? So a lot of these associations come from how it looks, where it grows, the color, the shape, um, how it tastes, how it smells. And also it's very physical, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. like St. John's wort, for example, is most likely going to correspond with the sun. It grows during the season of Leo, typically, depending on where you're at. Um, so it grows in the summer. It is a bright, sunny, yellowy flower, and it looks like the sun, and it dispels melancholy or, or sadness or witchcraft or demons. So that's kind of where a lot of these associations come from, and I think it's important to know that that is a wonderful starting place and definitely St. John's wort amongst other plants um, can be used like that, right? Or worked with like that. 
But then when you start narrowing down the spirit, the individual spirit that lives within that plant, that's kind of when things start to get a little weird. Oh, yeah. And it's I like that you said that because one of the things that for me, before I actually did any major uh, research into, say, like dandelion, dandelion is something that almost no matter where you are, you can most likely find, mind you. That is my limited experience. But most of the time, if you can grow grass, you can grow dandelions. So maybe not in the middle of the desert, but who knows? I'd be there too. Uh, what I found was really funny is before I actually looked into what, what the book says about the correspondence of dandelion, the thing that really immediately jumped out to me was, God damn, these will grow anywhere. If there is a crack in the cement, they will grow there. And for me, what immediately jumped out was these are tough cookies. These will grow in any situation. So literally the correspondence that my UPG, my unverified personal gnosis told me was that dandelion can be used as the virtue or as a, a spirit ally that can help uh, enhance growth in the toughest of situations. And funny enough, after doing my research, I also realized that they are a plant that corresponds with Jupiter and Mercury. Mercury specifically, being a very mercurial uh, personality, is all about um, adaptability. So there we are right there, just off of the bat, that yes, there are certain things that the book will say that correspond with dandelion, but just the fact that they are a flower of adaptability really kind of stood out to me. And of course, they're also great for uh, wishing and manifestation, which is why they work well with bringing luck with Jupiter. People make wishes on them. So yes, those are the most obvious. But I do think that one of the great things about creating a relationship with some of these spirit allies is they start to speak to you in a way like you were describing, in a way that completely kind of departs itself from what the books may say. They may tell you things, things that stand out to you, things that, that you notice that maybe you haven't thought of before. Absolutely. And like I said, that's when shit gets weird. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's when it gets so weird. And this is, of course, why people always ask, like, oh, there's so many 101 books. There's so many intro books, so many new beginners books. Where are all the advanced books? And while there are a few, I'm not going to lie, most of the advanced education comes from your practice. It comes from actually working with these spirits, doing the magic, doing the rituals. You learn from these spirit allies. That's, that's the advancement. Yes, exactly. I think we get really, which I am very critical of the fact that like, it's a lot of 101 stuff, but you're 100% right. The reason that there isn't a lot of like, things that are further from that is, um, A, everybody's, <laughs> I think everybody's uh, really scared to get called out now. Like authors are very, I think we're kind of like, um, rebuttaling against the fact that like back in the 90s and early 2000s anything you said that got published that was gospel truth right mm -hmm. um and so now i think we're very concerned with making sure our books are cited and uh the information is is sourceable um but yeah you're right the information is going to come through learning through practice there are things that you can't write down in a book right like if you have a secret with a spirit or a pact with a spirit or an agreement, like you shouldn't be talking about that, A, 
just because the more people know, the more people can do baneful shit to your own personal work. And also sometimes like a spirit is like, you can't talk about that. Right. And you know, that's one of those things that I find kind of fascinating because when it comes down to it, and, and some people hate the word, the, 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 the words unverified personal gnosis. We use UPG for short. So for anyone wondering when I say UPG, I mean unverified personal gnosis. It's your own personal understanding or spirit relationship or knowledge that has come to you through your practice. It's unverified because it's not written or cited anywhere. I do think we have become not obsessed. That's not like the right word. I like reading books that have sources cited because it lets me know that one, they didn't just make it up. But if you are writing a book, if you are writing something or sharing information that is your personal UPG, that is also, in my opinion, valid. It just means you need to say that's what it is. Don't pretend it's some massive, amazing, most obvious sort of thing that you read somewhere. Tell us, say, this is my UPG. The same way that I talked about the fact that dandelions, to me, mean growth in tough situations. That's my UPG. I don't expect everyone to follow suit. Um, but I do find that we sometimes get into this, this headspace where some people, not just authors, but people who like to say things online in general, because both of us are online occultists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we see a lot of these things and I'm like, where did you read that? Did you make, did, is that your own UPG or, or did you read that somewhere? I'd like to know. It's okay. Either one is still valid. I just want to know. yeah i think that's important too so to shamelessly plug troy books and and corinne boyer again like if you read under the bramble archer under the witching tree she has information on the folklore she has a whole section in that one chapter which every chapter is a plant right so it'll go through the folklore and then it will go into personal practices so you kind of get those best of both worlds and also Gemma gary has you know she says in several of her books this is an inspiration from folklore and from history this is mm-hmm. a historical accuracy so you need to take that with how you how you will right so yeah it's good to have the best of both worlds i also have a few things written down here that i thought would be interesting to cover because we talked about plants let's talk a little bit about stones like i don't use crystals a whole time i'm working with like a um charms charm bags maybe things you might bury or put around your home in your yard i am not someone that it's going to go buy out a ton of crystals and make some massive crystal grid for a meditation but what i do find fascinating is when i look up the stones obsidian onyx and smoky quartz all of them are black or darker stones they all have something to do with balance and protection and awarding against negative spirits but none of them talk about the fact that they can be used for exactly the opposite too. It kind of changes with your intention. It changes with your, uh, the will you're pushing and relationship you're working with. Now I will say obsidian might not always be the best choice. I, I do think personally obsidian can be one of those things that repels or attracts negative energy, depending on what type of relationship you're making with that stone. What do you think about that? So as everyone knows, I'm very not super into crystals like, <laughs> at all. Um, 
but I've used them in the past and I actually have a friend and I'll never forget this. I have a friend, his name's uh, Nicholas Pearson. He's written a handful of books, including one of them being uh, Crystals for Karmic Healing. Um, he, I remember one day had helped me. I was chatting with him about doing a series of uh, curse works against somebody in particular. And I trusted Nicholas enough to tell him about not who I was doing it to, but what I was doing. And I needed a crystal for the working. This was also several years ago, but at the time I thought I needed a crystal for, for the working. And he had let me know about um, obsidian and I think also black jet. And he was like, well, think about it. Like if you're thinking about the planets that rule it, like what, what planetary association would rule over a black stone? And I'm like, Saturn. And he's like, and what does Saturn also rule? And I'm like, Maleficia and witchcraft. So simply, right? So that was really helpful. And I definitely think that those, um, especially like black stones can be used to repel things, but they can also be used to send excuse me, some nasty things out, you know? Absolutely. I have my uh, Llewellyn's complete book of correspondences here. As I'm telling you to stop reading books, I'm going to open my book. <laughs> <laughs> and what I find fascinating is it actually says specifically Obsidian is connected to Pluto and Saturn. And yes. Onyx, Onyx is connected to Mars, Mercury, and Saturn. Yes. So... I, I think that's really fascinating. I don't think we talk about enough in the craft how these stones, how these herbs work in a way that isn't always necessarily for the magic they're talking about. Sometimes it's against it. And I think, again, this goes directly back to Bane and Blessing growing on the same stock. Now, I think this is really cool. I looked this up online a, a few months ago and I haven't had a chance to talk about it, but I don't know if you know this, obsidian as an actual uh, natural uh, black glass absorbs radiation. Yeah. So, I mean, just think about what that means for a magical correspondence as a, as a stone or, or, or crystal ally, as an earthen ally, what it means for a type of rock actually absorb radiation so something that can absorb negative energy can attract it or it can take it away from your environment i mean that's just the science that's not even magic yeah i think that's really interesting too like have you ever like went to the dentist and you got your teeth x-rayed and they put that lead blanket on top of you yes well, lead also absorbs radiation which is why they put it on top of you um to prevent you from getting exposed to unnecessarily unnecessary radiation. Lead absorbs it, and lead is also the most common, I would say, because there are other metals associated, I think, also with Saturn. But like lead is the metal of Saturn, like when you when you get down to the nitty-gritty, right? So um, make sure if you're gonna use it, wear gloves and don't like breathe it in but you know lead is something that is used also um there's a really famous i think it's 
I forget who it's from, but I know they found it underneath a pub a handful of years ago. It was from a cunning man in England who wrote um, basically, I think it was either a lunar talisman or a Saturnian talisman on a lead tablet and was cursing the bar owner and was like, you know, may this dude never have success in his business, this, that, and the third, and had actually buried it underneath the pub door. And it was found several years later. But yeah, lead is lead is a common thing that is used for, I think, absorbing things, but also for doling out some nastiness as well. While we're on the topic, I have my same book, <laughs> Llewellyn's Complete Book of Correspondences, Solitary uh, Solar System, Planet, Saturn, Element, Earth, to the specific intentions of powers to bind death, defense, gen- uh, divination, energy, general and receptive, hexes, lust and magic, aggressive and defensive, negativity to protect from and protection. So, I mean, I actually like this book specifically because it talks about, this is actually one of the first books that I've seen in a long time that talks about both the give and the take, which is kind of funny considering I'm making an episode about how most books don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> But I like that, that it talks about that. And honestly, lead is not always easy to come by it nowadays. If you, I highly recommend getting out of the occult shop. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but mm-hmm. get out of the occult shop and A, go out into nature, but also go to the hardware store. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you the other day see that thing that a friend tagged me in? And it was like, it was like um, intro occult shops and it was like your local metaphysical store, yes. Amazon, XYZ. And then it was like God tier was like Dollywood and <laughs> um, I forget the other one, but it was like Dollywood. And I was like, no, it was yes. like Dollywood hardware store. Yeah. Yes. God level Dollycraft. That's what it is, baby. Dollycraft. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. I love that. Um so I thought maybe at this point in time, actually, before we get there, I do want to go over one more thing. Uh, I have a couple things here specifically that I wanted to go over the idea of baneful and blessing growing on the same stock when it comes to sigils, wands, athames. I actually brought this up. I'm not sure if we didn't get to talk about it very much because of the way that the video ended up having to be edited. But when my friend Olivia was in town, we did a, uh, a, YouTube video on sigils. And one of the things we talked about is making sigils that are a little bit more like root causes. So clarity, glamour, uh, joy, good sleep. I don't know. Think of any sort of main root cause or, or direction you want to go in. What's fascinating is I talked about how you can make a, sig- a singular sigil, say for clarity, which we did in the video. If you watch that, you can see I talk about it. And then I wrote in a clockwise direction around the sigil what I wanted clarity in. That's a great way you could use a sigil. But what most people don't think about is you could take that exact same sigil for clarity and maybe you wanted to cloud someone's clarity around a certain subject. Maybe you want to break someone up when it comes to love. Maybe you want to take a sigil that has to do with ego 
and knock someone down a few pegs. You could write their name and birth date going in a sinister or counterclockwise direction around that sigil. And again, I'm not telling people to go out and just hex the day away. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about understanding that you have the ability to do lots more sometimes than what these books automatically tell you. I think that's really important that we bring that <laughs> bring that little topic up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I want you to know that when you make your sigils, especially when they can be simple root suggestions, you can go further than just writing a sigil and burning it or or burying it or coming on it. You can <laughs> you can do lots of <laughs> bury my energy. Yes, everyone loves a good come sigil. Uh, you could do these things on there that are more like taking it to the next level. I like to take my sigils to the next level by drawing a sigil that's a little simplified and then drawing in a sinistral or dextral direction what I want to do with that type of energy. Um, and then I'll burn it or bury it or come on it. But that's one of those, that's one of those ways in which you can use sigils that go much further than what most sigil books uh, or videos online will talk to you about. Yeah, or, you know... Um... Another another thing to do, just write their name backwards. Actually, that takes me into my next section because, you know, one of the coolest things that I read in uh, The Devil's Dozen by Gemma Gary is one of the things that you do to call a man in black is to say the Lord's Prayer backwards. Now, I do want to kind of throw this out there. This isn't necessarily specifically to call the Christian Satan as I take a sip of wine. <laughs> Yeah, I um the uh, like the rite of compact, which is in the Devil's Dozen, which is something that um, mine looks a little different, but as it as it should. Um, but there is a rite of of meeting or gathering that mm -hmm. does take place often in my practice, and it looks very similar to that, even down to um, saying the Lord's Prayer backwards, which is also side note something that i included a long time ago in a public work not a long time ago but somewhat recently in a public work to break the protection wards off of somebody that you're meaning to like send some very nasty things to do you remember that no no i i remember that and it's funny because like, actually, I think that was one of the things that inspired me. Um, if you go back to my page, especially on TikTok to November, I think it's November 6th or 4th or 3rd, I can't be sure specifically, but I made one asking anyone who would join me to work a banishing work. And maybe you remember this. It was a simple one to say out loud, Pamert J. Delanad. Yeah. Yes, I do remember Pamert J. Delanad. Which of and, course... Um, is you know who's named backwards on the election day. And yeah. I'm not saying that it's my, that I'm the one that made this happen. I would never begin to say that whatsoever, for, for all seriousness. But I do think that obviously when it comes to our votes and collective energy, we didn't want him anymore. Right, very that, very yeah. that. Absolutely. So the same way that you could use these directions with your words, with your incantations, you could take a, a prayer or a, a, a incantation for something and say it backwards, say someone's name backwards, undo something. If you are sick, if you have COVID-19, why don't you make a mantra saying the words COVID-19 backwards? 
there are ways in which you could do this in a completely different direction. Sometimes people are so, so built with the idea of, of spell work and mutterings and things that bring in health, bring in health. Why don't you banish sickness? Yeah, very that. That kind of reminds me of like um, working, you know, speaking of correspondences, like lunar correspondence, you know, always it's, it's um, when the moon is waxing, growing your manifestations or whatever. And then when it's full, you know, setting your intention. I don't know. I don't do all that. And then when it's like waning, <laughs> I mean, I do. I just don't use that terminology. I know um, what you mean. And then, and then when it's waning, you know, that's when you, you send things that, quote, no longer serve you, um, which I won't get into the problems with saying things like that. But um, I find that you can also kind of like trick it where maybe you don't have time to do wait around for the for the new moon or when the moon is waning right so kind of like working the spell to be opposite to you so if you're trying to um heal somebody for example but the moon is waning why don't you banish the sickness like you had said does that make sense did i say that correctly (laughs) you did it makes total sense and in the same way that we do this with our our, if you work with a wand if you work with an athme um you can do the same thing if you want to have an item or a charm or a charm bag or necklace and you want to go in a clockwise circle versus a clounter count clounter clown i'm a clown Yes, if you want to go in a counterclockwise circle. <laughs> so that is that is pretty much the majority of what I wanted to say when it came to it. And um, I, I thought it might be kind of fun to share something that each, whether it's a working that we have done or want to do, we kind of end today's episode with a working on how we might take something that is either generally thought of a one way and how we might use it as another Yes, I love that. Do you want to go first or should I? You should go first so I can get a better example. Okay, okay. Um, So I thought of this really cool idea where I actually had some rose bushes in our outside garden area that were uh, uh, either destroyed or died, I think, during the freeze. So they dung them up and they were going to throw them away. And instead, I collected a ton of the thorns from these stalks, I saved them. And I put together a working where I was gonna put a ward around my entire condo building. And I took four, cause it's a, it's a big square. So I took four of these thorns and, and, and I'm, I, I haven't done it yet. I'm in the process of building this and I want to do a spell or a ritual that involves communing with the spirit of these thorns and letting them know what I need from them from me, which is specifically to ward and protect. Now there's a big difference between protection and wards. Protections are just a big old block. It's like a wall, but a ward actually has a protection with sometimes consequences. So the idea would be to put these four rose thorns at each corner of my condo building in the ground and have them ward the building. Anyone sending negative magic my way towards anyone in my building, especially me, especially, um, would be met with the spirit of these thorns. So honestly, it really could be that simple. There are obviously other ways in which we've talked about it, but that is one way in which I wanted to put up a ward around my building using the thorns of the rose ally. I love that. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of um, protections, I think um, a good way to speaking of uh, also breaking down those protections, right? So say if you have a family member or a loved one that you want to protect, right? And um, for this, you should probably get their consent, make sure, um, I mean, you don't have to, that's fine. I'm not here to uh, put my uh, projections onto you, but like, you know, you could essentially take a piece of their hair Right. And you would take a spool of thread or you would take yarn or something like that. And you would entwist the hair into the, the, the thread and you would start winding it around um, a spool or a new spool or something like that. And you could like chant while you were doing it. And this kind of winds up a protection around them. Right. And Ooh. similarly, if you wanted to break down somebody's protection, right, you would essentially take a piece of, I'm sorry, a spool of thread and you could write somebody's name on it or, you know, in the little holes on the bottom, stuff their, stuff their name into it and start to unravel the spool of thread while, you know, saying the Lord's prayer backwards. Or if there is a specific prayer that you know that they use, saying that backwards, um, or even saying their name backwards too, you know? So it's kind of like the idea of winding the charm up and then also breaking it apart. I like that. I really like that because the way that you actually just said the whole idea of saying someone's name backwards, um, I hope their name's not Hannah, because <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> you know, if you're working in palindromes and you get things like Hannah, um, use their last initial. <laughs> right. Yes. We can, we can throw on some extra syllables there or um, obviously, again, we're not just telling you to go out there and start cursing people because that's not what this whole episode is about. <laughs> it's, it's obviously about something bigger than that. It's about the fact that when we talk about the fact that this is a crooked, a podcast of crooked ways, we're talking about the fact that when people weave the liminal, the back and forth, the weaving of the blessing and the baneful, you have that ability, you have that power. I just think over the past so many years of me studying and learning about this, I have only seen the public side talk about the blessing. And I think that's something that 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 deserves a little bit more, um, more light shed on, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I'm very pro doing magic for magic's sake. So if you want to go, you know, hex your neighbor because she gave you a bottle of wine uh go right ahead and do it that was that was a personal uh thing for me but because it was um, a bad bottle wasn't it yeah yeah it was Mm. a nasty sweet riesling even though i'm still drinking it but um (laughs) (laughs) the the thing is is that in my in my personal idea of of like and historically speaking too like magical practitioners knew both sides of the coin. In a lot of cases, you hear this like differentiation between like cunning folk and witches, almost as if the witches um, were, you know, the bad side and the cunning folk were the very like anti-witches. But what you'll you'll find throughout a lot of history is that there's a really there's no like clear delineation of of those lines. A lot of the times, you know, 
old farmer Joe would go see the wise woman down the street because old farmer John killed his dog. And now old father John has a, has a curse on him and he goes to see the same wise woman to pay her to get it off, you know? So it, it, it is this like back and forth between left and right palm or, or treading that, that liminal left and right crooked path. I actually created this whole ceremony or ritual that sometimes when I'm at my altar, I will open up a crossroads or liminal space that is the opposite of this version of reality by taking my incense cone and spinning around nine times towards my left or counterclockwise. And I will count them. And as I do, I will sometimes even say out loud very clearly, I weave a liminal space, I weave a liminal space, or I weave a space of in-between, I weave a space of in-between. It's it's very straightforward. It's not some super cute rhymey incantation, but I go counterclockwise with my dragon's blood incense nine times and what's really interesting is I didn't have to go counterclockwise I think you in the very beginning talked about going left as a a crossroads opening Um, but it it goes against the grain of the natural sun or direction of the sun so it's going into a way that is different from this phase of reality uh that is what I think really kind of delves into this crooked path ideology, this idea of being able to work both sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. I love coins. Me too. <laughs> well, I think that's all we have for today. So I think that's it. Yeah. Anything else to add? My final thought is, Final thoughts. I'm 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 channeling Owas right now. If you right. haven't listened, if I haven't, if you guys haven't listened to Occultism with a Side of Salt, it's one of my favorite podcasts. I live for it every Wednesday. the The ladies are fantastic of it. Um, I would definitely Absolutely. suggest checking them out. Uh, but I do also want to say, and I'm glad you reminded me of this earlier. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do leave us a five star review. Leave comments, especially I know on on Apple iTunes podcasts that that makes a huge difference for us, especially when it comes to visibility. Yeah, thanks, guys. I have like severe validation issues and I would really appreciate if you could leave me a comment, tell me how pretty I am, mm-hmm, tell mm-hmm. tell me how sultry my voice is across a microphone grating into your ear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, please, please validate me. Your mullet looks beautiful. <gasps> Thank you. Thank you. It's the angle. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so um, I will end this episode by saying I truly hope that each and every one of you listening get exactly what you deserve au revoir and i hope that um you do magic for magic's sake and have fun and um be evil or be good but um have fun while doing it no my gosh oh my gosh okay so maybe it won't be my last word because i my favorite thing that my teacher in high school used to say i can't believe i'm bringing this up every single weekend she would always say on friday okay everyone be good and if you can't be good be good at it (laughs) (laughs) i love that i'm stealing it yeah i would steal it too okay so you guys we will see you next time i look forward to it and uh as always unpleasant dreams bonsoir